Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to talk today about perhaps what most people would consider to be the greatest fish story written. In fact, um, most would say, you know, it's one of those things, and Bruce would probably, Bruce has never done this, but the one that got away, right? The one, the one and it just gets bigger and bigger every time you tell it. Pickners and witnesses. Pickners and okay, yeah. All right, so we have no pictures or witnesses, but we're t- the one that got away in this story was actually Jonah. And that's what's interesting about this story. However, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about what we're, what we're looking at, what this story is, and what, uh, what Jonah had tells us. Is it not... I found it interesting that uh, when Paul was introducing the one song, how many times have you heard that statement from someone saying, I was reading in Zephaniah this week. Boy, that just was like, wow, that's awesome because that's a great book. And yet, that's not how often you hear someone read Matthew, Mark, Luke, but Zephaniah, that's fantastic. That was a great verse. So today, we're going to go close to Zephaniah in the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, you can follow me there, your electronic devices. But we want to talk about this great fish story, and one that we know to be, but it's so big, it's so out there that a lot of people have trouble believing this could actually be, be true. And the fact is, I believe what we're looking at is an historic account, but in this historic account, God teaches some incredible, relevant truth, truth that was for those people to, to grasp then, but even for us today, to understand that we can apply it even as we go through our, our lives. And here's the, the statement that we want to talk about in this, looking at it in chapter 1 today. And, and it's three words. I am Jonah. And I want you to think about that and try to personalize that. Let me, let me give you a couple of, of readings maybe to help you do this. I, I read um, Priscilla Shire did a book about the, the life of Jonah. And she opens her book with this, this particular quote, and I'll show it on the screen. I am Jonah. I want to serve God as long as it's convenient. I desire to do God's will until it's a tad uncomfortable. I want to hear God's word until it tells me to do something I I really don't want to do or go somewhere I, I do not want to go or unless I'm supposed to pass it on to others. I want to follow God until it interrupts my personal plans. Oh yes, I am Jonah And I suspect that in one way or another, so are you. Another quote I read this week simply says this, A Jonah, a little Jonah, lurks in every Christian's heart. As we walk through chapter 1 today, and that's literally what we're going to do, we're just going to take a a walk, a journey through this chapter. And as we do, I think God's going to show us some things that as we get real about our lives we, we may see ourselves, and I think in some form or fashion, we will. Let me ask you to consider a couple, couple of thoughts. What do I struggle with God the most about? Consider what command do I find most difficult from God to hear? What uh, instruction from God panics me the most? What prompts me to say anything but that, God? I am Jonah. Let's let's open the book, chapter 1 and verse 1 again. We started there last week, but let's let's get into it just to see how we're we're starting the the idea. The word 
to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And thus begins this book that I think we can relate to in some form or fashion. Let's start by talking about Jonah a little bit. Let's see who he is, because as we look at kind of the, uh, an overview of Jonah himself, there's some interesting, interesting twists in, in who he was and how this relates even to the book that you're reading. I'm just going to give you a few historical things about Jonah, and, and, and then I wanted to see at the bottom. He was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he was under primarily Jeroboam II. He was a famous prophet, but he followed two of the probably the most famous prophets by the name of Elijah and Elisha. He was contemporary with prophets that are also listed in, in, the, in those, the end of the book, Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. Those, they all lived about the same time. And he prophesied, 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah, we find him the first time he's mentioned, prophesied that Israel would expand their borders in spite of the fact they had a very wicked king. Jeroboam too was not, he, God blessed the kingdom in spite of Jeroboam. Because Jeroboam was a wicked king, just like one his ancestors, and, and Jonah prophesied that would happen, and it did. And the, and the kingdom expanded, the kingdom was doing good in spite of the wicked king, but Amos and Hosea, a couple of his contemporary friends, they prophesied that one day this evil would catch up to them, and the nation of Assyria would conquer them. Now, the reason I point that out is the capital of Assyria was, does anybody know the answer to that question? The capital city of Assyria was Nineveh. Now, some of the things in the book of Jonah begin to make sense. You see, there was a prophecy that Israel was going to prosper, but if they didn't change, they were going to suffer. And there was a city that was going to, there was a nation, a people that were going to come and overtake them, and their capital was Nineveh. And the first verse of Jonah, where does God say, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, the capital of this country of Assyria. Again, we're going to walk through chapter 1 today, and, and I, so just take and follow along, and we're going to stop as we go through and make some, some observations and, and I, I think some relevant ideas, and then we're going to summarize it with two final truths as we kind of walk through this, this chapter together. And I want to begin, let's go back to verse number 2 again, and, and let's read this verse as we begin to walk through this chapter. He tells, God tells Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. You can circle that word great because that's interesting. The great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. First observation, and this kind of takes us, it kind of ties in what we talked about last Sunday if you were here. But here's what we're going to learn from the very beginning of this book and throughout it, and that is this, extreme <laughs> extreme times call for extreme measures. This whole book of Jonah, there's this, there's this word play, and Jonah does it a lot. The, the, liter, the literature of Jonah is amazing and how God uses words to, to paint some pictures. And we know the overboard idea of Jonah is man overboard, right? Okay, we get that. Jonah is out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So the overboard picture is there, but we also see throughout this book is the other use of the word overboard, and that is what, that things that go to extremes. And what we have is an extreme nation, and we have an extreme, all these things are happening. So I would, I would dare say we could literally say that overboard times call for overboard measures. When things are in extreme, when things are, when things, there's just something that has to be done, that's going to call for something big to happen, and that's what we find in the, in the book of Jonah. Sixteen times the words for extreme in some form or fashion are used as we talk about in the book of Jonah. You find the first one right here. Go to that extreme, great 
city of Nineveh. That the first time we see that, right here in this first thing, so we, right from the, the, the beginning, we understand this idea of, of this, this overboard idea and the focus on this city of Nineveh, which we know to be the capital of Assyria. Now, here's what we know about Nineveh from history, the Bible, as well as even archaeological digs and so forth. Here's some things we know about Nineveh. It was a great city, and by that it means huge, large, or, or extreme, because, number one, of its history, we actually find Nineveh being started in Genesis chapter number 10 by a, an infamous ruler by the name of Nimrod. He was the developer of, of Nineveh, and there's a whole story. In so that's where it gets its start. So it's great in its history. It's great even in its influence. It became kind of the centerpiece. This, this particular town of Assyria, or the, the, which was in Assyria, would be what we would know to be modern-day Iraq. Okay, that's where it is today. That's, that's what Assyria and Nineveh was. And this city was in its time an influential time. Everything pointed to, to Nineveh or, or many things pointed to Nineveh. It was also great just because of its literal size. It's, it's, uh, the, the, if you go to chapter 3, well, actually Jonah talks about when he goes to Nineveh finally, that it takes him three days to go around the city from one side to the other. It's big enough. And history tells us, archaeology says that the walls around that city were probably 60 miles of walls around the city of Nineveh. And in some places, those walls were wide enough that you could have three chariots side by side. We're talking massive walls around an important, influential, huge city. It took you three days to go across it in the way that they... So this is a huge city, great city. But we also see in this verse, it was great in one other thing, and that was its, its wickedness. It was by history one of the most... <laughs> not only influential, but one of those wickedly influential cities of its days. The Ninevites, the people of Nineveh, the, were so cruel and outrageous in not only what they, how they took over countries, but just their basic immorality. They were considered, that we would consider them the terrorists of the ancient world. They would, the things that they used were absolutely just unheard of, unthinkable acts. And in fact, they recorded them. You, would, you can find the hieroglyphic pictures of how they treated some of the people they conquered. Let me give you just a couple ideas. I don't want to be too gross about this, but just listen to some of the thoughts. After the conquering a city, they would skin alive many of the people, and all the, whether they're all genders, all ages, men, women, boys, and girls, and then would hang their skins up on the wall as trophies. They would then take the people that were, many of them still alive from the skinning, they buried them on holes up to their necks and just let them there, then die in their pain and suffering. They, they, would, they were known to have just literally, as you hear from, they, they raped women and children. Then they would actually take the skulls of their, 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 their uh, victims and they'd pile them up as trophies to say, this is what happens when you go against Assyria. In one, there was one case, they actually built a pyramid out of the skulls of their conquered people. I mean, they were just verbose. And then at night, they would make them listen to country western music over and over. Okay, I added that one in. Just thought I'd throw that in. Okay. That one's not in the Bible. Just threw that one in. Okay. But you get the idea. This was a cruel, unusually cruel group of people in what they did to the people they conquered, and their morality was no different. So, Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, and he was a little hesitant. Do you blame him? 
He was also, the, the Syrians were also constantly just pecking at the, the Israelites on their borders. And they would, so Jonah had been a part of seeing some of the atrocities right in his own people. So can you really blame him for not really wanting to go there, right? We get pretty judgmental of Jonah, and there's reason, but, but there was a lot of reason why it would. I mean, it was dangerous. The Jews also believed that God was a God of the Hebrews only, so to even think about going to a Gentile nation didn't make sense. And then the fact of who they were and that they were arch enemies of Israel, Jonah didn't want to have any part of being anything that could bless their enemies. I mean, literally, Jonah would have said, let them go where they deserve to go. Do you understand what I'm going? Why? They are just wicked people. They deserve anything they can get. So Jonah has a little struggle with that. That's the country he's he's told to go to. So we know this is a great city for a lot of reasons. But just quickly, just to make sure, this chapter is full of this overboard idea, this greatness. Let me show you a couple other reasons why. Verse number four, we're going to see that there was a great wind. There's that word great, extreme again. And it brings us a violent or a great storm. So that's already in chapter, still in chapter one. You go to verse 12, this great storm, there's that great again. Verse 10, it says that it terrified them. And the word terrified means that they were greatly afraid or exceedingly afraid. That's the same word. Verse 16, at this, the men greatly feared. So you see this overboard, there's just all this emotion. And then, of course, the, the last verse that we're very familiar with, and there was a huge fish, a great fish, who happens to be the one that most people know the story about. So you understand, extreme measures, overboard uh, things call for overboard solutions, overboard big themes, and that's what we're talking about. So what we have here is a pattern of something that we're going to see in here from the overboardness of the city to ultimately the overboard love of God. Everything is in extremes, as I see it in this book of Jonah. So we have Jonah receives a great call to a great city. It's full of great wickedness, and he's to give him a great message. But here's what we find what happens. He had a great sense of, are you kidding me? <laughs> he gave God a great big no, and he made a great run for the border. That's what Jonah does, okay? It's all overboard. It's all great in everything you see. So let's keep reading. Verse number three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Read that again. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. How many know that's a really bad idea? Okay, don't run from God, all right? One, you can't. Two, it just doesn't make common sense. Everybody knows that, and I, I think Jonah knew that as well, but, but let's, let's understand. Here's what God has told him, and for, there's a lot of reasons why this is ridiculous besides the fact of who God is. One is, that was Jonah's job. Jonah, you're a prophet. When God says, speak it, you speak it. It was, a, it was his, it's what he was supposed to do. That's what, that's what his career was. So this makes no sense that he would run away when God tells him to do part of his job. Here's where we begin to see the rebellion of a prophet against God. We begin to see that the prophet is literally saying to God, no, I will not do what you ask me to do. And he literally, when you talk about running the, the other way, it's exactly what he did. If, you could, if I could put a map in front of you where Jonah was here, Nineveh was up here. It was north and east, and it was, and it was about a 500-mile journey across, across the, the land walking, okay, north and east. Tarshish, where he says he wants to go, is over 2,000, almost 2,500 miles straight west 
on a boat ride. It would have taken him months, perhaps even over a year to get to Tarshish, a a few weeks to get to to Nineveh. He ran as far, in fact, history says that according to the people there, remember, they still believe in a flat earth at this time, they believe Tarshish to be the farthest city you could go before falling off the edge of the earth. It was the end of the world. Jonah was going as far away from where God wanted him to go as he could. This wasn't just, I'm going to hang out at the, at the pub for a little while and relax. He ran, he was trying to run as far away from God as he could, as fast as he could, whatever it cost him. That's, that's what the rebellion of Jonah was saying. I will do whatever I can to not go where. But here's the next observation I have. Jonah seems upstanding in every other way. We understand Jonah from the couple times we see him in Scripture. Jonah, most of us in this room, would have given him a pretty thumbs up as far as his, who he was. By human standards, he was a good guy. He was a prophet. He gave good prophecies. I mean, they came true. And we're also going to see that when he teaches, when he preaches, people respond. Jonah may have had, maybe it was his personality. Who knows what it was? Jonah, we would have given him a a lot of, by by human standards, he was a premier, a successful prophet. One person said he was the Billy Graham of his day in the the sense of what he did and the responses that, that he had. But here's, you might want to write this down. This isn't in your notes. Here's an extra one, but don't miss this one. Rebellion is simply saying no to God. We have, we have categorized sin in so, such a fashion of how good or how bad certain sins are. And, and, and we've actually kind of, in some cases, made ourselves feel a little better that we're at least not as bad as the Ninevites, not as bad as those people. And we've categorized it in such a way that, uh, that we, we've, we have our checklist of our moral and our ethical things, and we're doing all those, and people would consider. But just, just chew on that for a minute. Rebellion is simply saying no to God, with what God has in mind for you to do, and you say, nah, that's a rebellion against God. That's, that's what, what we find in Jonah's case. We, we end up kind of feeling good about ourselves because, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm going to church more, I'm doing more good, I, I help more people, and, and we, we kind of wrap ourselves around that, and then we forget the fact that any time that God speaks, our answer should be yes. That's God. And so anytime we say no, we're, we're in rebellion against God. J.D. Greer made a statement. I want to quote it for you. He said this, you're never farther from God than when you're close to him and say no. You're never farther from God than when you're close to him and you say no. There would be a lot of people, and perhaps right here in this room, who would be considered, people would think of you, and you might even say of yourself that I'm close to God. I've got the answers. I know what, I can speak the word of God. I can say those things. I have it all together. But inside or in some part of your life, you're saying no to him. You're, you're not obeying him in some fashion. I am Jonah. We are simply disobeying, and in that, we rebelled against God. Maybe there's a relationship that you know shouldn't be happening, and it is. Maybe there's a, a, something God has asked you to do, a, even a sacrifice to make, and, and you refuse. You say it won't, can't happen. Maybe there's a behavior, an attitude, a sin that you know you should or should not be doing, and you know it. I mean, it's not, there's not a question about it, and yet you, you refuse to do anything about it. You're simply saying no to God. Or maybe even like Jonah, he's wanting you to leave family and do something that he wants you to do, and you're saying, I, you know, God, anything but that. Do you realize that's, that's the same as Jonah? 
It's simply saying no to what God has in mind for you to do. The question was asked this week, what kind of a mule-headed preacher would accept God's call? Don't laugh at that. Mule-headed preacher is not funny, okay? What kind of mule-headed preacher would accept God's call to preach and then refuse to obey? Who would do that? It's any preacher who knows that God's call is to go to Nineveh. Go to a place I don't want to go to. Do something I don't want to do. Be a part of something that's not in my plans. Go to Nineveh. Let me give you some, just something to think about. What would Nineveh look like for you today? Maybe it's a clear call that God wants you to, 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 to move out of your comfort zone. That could be your Nineveh. Maybe it's that, a place that God calls you and you just don't want to go there. You're, you're, you're good where you're at. That could be your, your Nineveh. Maybe it's to minister to somebody who's hurt you or that you don't like real well. Maybe that's your, your Nineveh. Maybe it's to change an attitude or behavior that you're happy with. You kind of like what you're doing now, and God's saying, no, not so. That could be your Nineveh. Maybe it's a, a, a call from God just to put him first, to let him be God. And you say, that, that sounds good in that theory, but God, there's other things that I have. I have other plans in mind for me. Understand this. Nineveh is danger. Nineveh is discomfort. Nineveh is, is what you hate or dislike and God loves. What's your Nineveh? What is it that God may have in mind for you that you're just simply fighting? And here's an interesting thing. You can run from God and not even change a geographical location. You can allow yourself to get so busy with all the other stuff in life that you don't even have to move, and yet you're running from God because he wants you to be involved here. And you say, but I can't. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I've got all this stuff. And you're right in the middle of, of your, you're running in all directions. You're just not running in his direction. I am Jonah. And Nineveh may be a place that we're, we're running from at this point. We have everything else together. Everyone assumes that you're good. Everything, everything looks right. But you and God know that he told you to do something, and you said, nope. No. Maybe it wasn't. A, no one else will even know that answer but you and God. But there's something, and, and you said, no, God, I, I'm heading to Tarshish. I'm going as far away from what you call me to do as I can, or I'm just not... There's an interesting verse in the New Testament. Jesus said this to a group of people. He said, why do you call me, in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I tell you to do? Christians, that's a question you've got to talk to yourself about. Why would you say, I'm a follower of God, but God goes this way, and you go that? How does that make sense? I'm a follower of God. I'm a Christian but I'm going to do it my way. That just, Jesus, Jesus almost, you, you can see the, almost the inquisitive look on his face. How can you say, I'm your Lord, and then you won't follow me? That's, that's where we find Jonah. Let, let's keep reading. Verse number three, as he goes on, he says, He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, knowing full well what he was doing, running from God, he gets in a ship bound to go the opposite way, pays the fare. Here's another observation that you kind of see the word play in Jonah, and that's this. Every step out of God's will is a step down. Just interesting how this, this story progresses, and the, the literature of this story tells us that fr from the very beginning that geographically, 
where we, we know that it was south, it was down. So he had to go down to get to Joppa. But God seems to use that story to show that there is a, there, there's a process starting to happen in Jonah's life. And he starts going down. Verse 3, he went down to Joppa. Verse 5, Jonah, once he got to Joppa, he got on the ship and he went below deck in the ship, down into the sides of the ship, your version may say. Then it tells us again in verse 5 that while he's down there, he falls into a, a deep sleep. And the reason I point that out is that deep sleep is not just like, oh, I'm tired. I need that. that literally, some commentators say it was like the sleep of death. He went down into this almost comatose state. You see him in the bottom of the ship in this way. And then we know verse 15, he's going to go down into the sea as they throw him overboard. And then, of course, verse 17, you don't get much downer than in the, body, in the belly of a fish. What am, what am I saying? This, this just is a pattern that, that we see in Jonah, that there's this downward spiral of sin. And once you allow sin to come, that's exactly what happens. If you don't address sin, it just, it just takes you further down. It may start with a, you know, with a casual sin that you, you, that yes, it was wrong, but it's something, a small disobedience, at least in your opinion, but if not addressed, it could end up into spiritual disaster, a complete spiritual failure of, of the, and it just, it just takes a spiral, it takes this tornado down, and it's almost, it, it's like if you've ever, if you ever been in the ocean and gone swimming, some of you have. How many have been in the ocean, you've gone, you swim in the ocean? Okay, if you're swimming in the ocean, and you look, and there's your hotel. Go, oh, that's where we're staying, right? You start swimming. Five or ten minutes, you look up, and there's about ten buildings down from where you started. And you don't remember moving, but you did. There's a drift that you can't fight, and it's taking you from there to there almost without you even realizing it. And you realize, Christians, you start down that road and you say, I, I, just a little indiscretion here or a little lie here or, you know, as, as I, I'm, I'm a totally uh, an angry, uh, I just can't do any, a rebellious 50-year-old because somewhere when I'm 18 and 20, I just refused to, to obey authority and I never took care of that. Or I, I'm, I'm in this sexual addiction now in, in this age because maybe when I was in my teens and 18, I never handled the porn problem. It, it's just one of these things. You start and you never address it and you see a spiral until one day you look up and you find yourself maybe in the bottom of a fish's gut. Do you understand where the spiral of sin that you almost, beware of the drift, Christians. Beware of what happens if you don't address what God is telling you that you need to, need to address. And how, here's the question, how far will God let his children go down? The answer, I don't know. And, and the answer to you is, you don't know either. God could stop you very quickly. Or God might allow even the consequences himself to be part of the way he corrects you to get your attention. That part we don't know. You, you, you don't understand how that goes. There's a spiral that starts, and as soon as you recognize it, do something about it. That's what we find in Jonah. Let, let me keep reading. Verse 3, he found a ship bound for that port, that's Tarshish, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. When we realize there's a little Jonah in all of us, here's something I want you, this is just quick, but I want you to make sure you get this. There's always a ship going to Tarshish. You want to run from God? There's always going to, the, the, the enemy's going to supply a way for that to happen. I read this quote, I thought it was great. When you want to run from God, Satan is more than happy to pay for your transportation. Satan will call you an Uber if you want to run from God. Does that make sense? There's always going to be a way. If, if you decide I want to run, the enemy is, is all for getting you as far away from what God wants you to do as possible. Think about it. When Jonah, Jonah curls up in the bottom of this ship, 
He goes into a deep sleep. It's like, hey, this is okay. God, God must not be so bad because, look, I'm going to get a rest. Finally, I'm this tired prophet. I'm going to get some sleep. Everything is going well. It looks like God may be even blessing what he's going to do because now he's, he's heading off for this tropical Tarshish, and he's going to have a vacation. Everything seems to be going perfect. Everything seems to be going well. I mean, this must be God's will because it's all working out so well. I mean, I, I prayed about it. I have a real peace about this. I know it's not what God told me to do, but I, I suddenly just feel this peace around me. And do you understand? The enemy's going, yeah, go. Tarshish, have fun. There's always a ship for Tarshish if you want to run from God. God, God is calling you, and the enemy will make it as easy as he can for you to disobey what God wants you to do. There's always a ship for Tarshish. Let me pick up the pace a little bit. Go, go with me to verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and this is the part of the story maybe you know or you've at least heard. And it was such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a, a deep sleep. This is a great storm, right? An extreme storm. This wasn't a natural phenomenon. And the sailors knew that. The sailors knew there was something different about this storm. They'd been in a lot of storms, but they knew immediately, or they felt immediately, that there was something supernatural going on here. And they, and they began to cry. Isn't it interesting that the pagans are praying and the prophet is sleeping? Isn't that interesting that the one who should have been listening to God is the one that is not even in touch with God? And they're, they're crying out to all their gods in any way that they can. He's so totally callous to what God has said and what God, that he, he allows himself to curl up and doesn't even care at that point what, what happens. Verse 6, the captain went to him, found him asleep. How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, you've got to catch this. Come and let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. That's a kind of a, super, you know, a, a superstitious way of saying, that, 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 let's see who this is. They cast lots, and the lot fell on who? Jonah. I mean, they spend that bottle 10 or 12 times, and every time it stopped on Jonah. Every time, whatever their, their, their means were, as it came and it stopped on Jonah. They're all looking at him saying, listen, this is, this is crazy. The God, why, what, what fault? What is it that we've done? And it all came back to Jonah, verse 8. So they asked him, tell us. Who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Stop there. Isn't that ironic? I worship the Lord, the maker of the seas that are threatening him. I worship him, but I don't obey him. I worship him, but I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. I worship him. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. But I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. What an interesting, ironic way of thinking. I just thought in my heart, how many times have I done that? Sung the song and not been listening to the voice. That, that's what Jonah, I am. Jonah, verse 10, this is what grabs my attention. That when he said that, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done because they knew he was running from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Somewhere in that conversation he said, and the reason it's happening is I'm running from God. And they knew it and they were terrified. Are you crazy, dude? Why you believe that he made the sea and now you're going to run from him? Are you nuts or what? This is, this is ridiculous. This God is going to, and he's going to take all of us out with you, which leads me to another observation. Obedient, disobedience affects other people. 
Disobedience, here's what you see, a pattern throughout Scripture. And, and there's, not a, there's not an exact science of this, but you'll see a pattern in so many ways throughout Scripture that when disobedience, when running from God happens, there's quite often collateral damage. Whatever disobedience affects you, but it also affects others around you. Might be friends, might be family, might be a relationship. Might be that person at the office who needs Jesus because of, the, and, and when they look at your life, they say, well, if that's, I, I don't see anything in you that would draw me to that. Oh, disobedience, whatever it is, it has an effect on other people. And here's the point. You don't get to choose how that affects. You begin to make your choice. You don't get to choose the consequences. It affects not just you. It has a, the disobedience affects, it affects the other people. Verse 11 the sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And I want to stop right there because it's very interesting. At this point, this whole book of Jonah could change right here. Do you realize what is happening? The sailors have determined this is the, this is the reason why we're in this storm. Jonah has admitted this is the reason we're in this storm. So they come to him and they say, what should we do? The storm just gets worse. What should we do to make the sea calm down? At this point, Jonah has the choice and he could say, you know, guys, I need to repent. I need to turn around because I'm supposed to be going to Nineveh. If you'll turn the boat around, I repent, I will follow. Jonah has an opportunity at this point to change the whole story. He has an opportunity to repent. He has an opportunity to say, this is what would change everything. If you'll just, if you'll turn this boat around, it could change everything because they realized, and, and yet here was Jonah's solution. But Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, who says that? Who, who would do that when all it would take is for you to repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I'll go do what you told me to do, and I have an opportunity, but it's too hard. I don't want to make that choice. I really don't want to change. I don't want to do this. And so who, he, was, he would rather die than do what God had told him to do. He said, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. That, that'll be the answer to your problems. I know that it is my fault. Listen to this. He's not denying any of it. He's admitting it's my fault. This great storm has come upon you. Now, here's what the guys did. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, and the sea grew wild. And wild. The guys, these guys are, more, these are pagans. They don't even believe in God. They believe in all gods, but not in the God, and they, they don't want to do that. No, Jonah, there's got to be another way. So they start trying to row back to shore, and the storm just gets worse and worse. So finally, verse 14, they cried out unto the Lord. These guys are praying again to God, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And what seemed to be immediate is as soon as they had done, the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Here's just, just a thought in here. Also, God used Jonah in spite of himself. God is not limited by our mistakes. and our, he, he, he brought pagans to pray to him and honor him in spite of this crazy, rebellious, racist prophet. God still works. So God's not so big that he can't work in spite of us, but do you see the cost? Jonah's now in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and then it goes completely calm. And there's one last thing I want you to get that just flows as we go in this story. God sends storms to break his people of self-reliance. 
I want to make sure you understand that there, there is a, a truth that, that this, this story is really not about Jonah and the whale. That's the part we remember. It's got our attention. This, as we said last week, this is God's story. God is weaved all the way through this, the way he speaks, the way he acts, the things that he is doing. He is all the way through all this story, even to the fact where the very first thing he says, verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind. I want you to see that verse again, verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea. God sent the storm on purpose. In fact, the, the language is really, really clear here. The word sent, the Lord sent, is, is not near impactful enough. The word literally means hurled, like, like violently thrown, like a javelin. It's this idea of God sent with every force he had this storm. down. This storm was not an accident. It was not a cyclone that just happened to come and they just were in the middle of it. God sent this storm. God hurled this storm down on them, and, and ironically, everybody in the boat knew it was from God except Jonah. He's asleep on the bottom. Everybody else knew that there was God's hand. Was it, was, is it possible that we might be in the middle of a storm and not acknowledging that God's trying to get our attention? He's trying to, to change our self-reliance, and depending on who we are and what we have decided and what we want to do, it is true that God sends storms sometimes in our life. But remember, if you're a follower of Christ, it's not to punish you. Your sins are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not punishment. It's correction. It's the idea of where you're going is not what I want. It's not what bring me glory. It's not what's best for you and to bring you back. I, think of the, again, we're talking about a God who's so great. He pursues even the lost Nineveh, and he pursues a, a rebellious sailor or a rebellious prophet to go, and, and he comes after him. And, 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 and here's the thing. Not all storms, trust me, not all storms, and I don't even know if most storms are because of things we've done wrong. It's not that if you got a storm, oh, I must have done something. In fact, if you have to ask that question, oh, I'm in a storm. I, I wonder if I did something wrong in God's... If, if you're asking that question, then that's not the kind of storm. Remember, Jonah knew why the storm was there. <laughs> so if you're in the middle of a situation and you're th facing a storm and God kind of brings to your mind, do you remember this that I've been trying to tell you? That's when you know this storm is a storm that God has been trying to get my attention as we've heard, sometimes you'll fall flat on your back, so the only place you have to look is up. Jonah is in the belly of a whale. The only place he has, he has no other recourse. There's no one else to talk to at that point. God does sometimes send a storm just so that to get his people's attention. And here's what's kind of interesting as we look at this last verse, and then I want to make some, some final thoughts. But the last verse when you get to this part, the, the storm has ceased. Do you think, just, just imagine with me, Jonah, they're in this storm, they wake him up, he realizes, hey, it was my fault, throw me overboard, don't want to change it, just throw me over, get this over with, right? Just, let's just stop this thing. And, he gets, and as soon as he hits the water, as best we can tell, the storm goes calm. Do you think Jonah may have said, whoo, whew, boy, I'm glad that's over hey, guys, why don't you throw me a life preserver? Let's, let's head on, right? And that's, if you're in the movie, that's when the music starts to change. Dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. And you know that it's not over. And he's going, hey, guys, wham! And then that verse says, the Lord prepared a huge fish to swallow Jonah. The story's far from over. God's got a plan for his prophet. He'll go to any lengths to get his attention. 
and to have him do what he wants him to do. So obviously, as we walk through this, hopefully there's some things that, that you've, you've heard and, and you've seen, but let me just throw out a couple of thoughts as we wrap this up. Some things that we can learn, even just this far in the book of Jonah. What I learned from this is Jonah shows us what a real sinner is. As we look at this, again, I remind you, no one ever de- debated the sinfulness of Nineveh. That was no question. They were the, still to this day, historians refer to them as the most vicious people of all time. No one debated that Ninevites were bad. That was not, that was not the issue. So when we see Nineveh in the first verse, verse, everyone knows there's the sinners. They're infamous. But Jonah shows us what the real characteristics of sin are. There are actions of sin, but let me show you the new, real characteristics. I'll take you back verse number three. The ESV puts it this way. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Remember what I told you right down earlier? Sin, rebellion, is simply saying no to God. It, it, it's not a, what's your top ten list of these are sins and these are lesser sins and these perhaps are, are white sins and black sins and whatever you want to call them. Sin is any time you say no to God. And that's what Jonah proves to us. He, he was an upstanding guy. He was a, a prophet. And, but his rebellion was simply said no to God. He's running from him. And we, we know how foolish that is. Psalm 139 verse 7 says it this way. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? We know, Jonah knew this. You don't, you don't run from God. It's not about hiding from him. But what I find interesting is both those words, the presence and both those verses are the same word. And the word presence literally means the face. Put the word face in that. Jonah rose to flee to Arshish from the face of the Lord. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your face? He knew he couldn't get away from God. God was everywhere, but he wanted to get away from the presence, from the face, from, from just that, that, that pull that God was having in his life. He was doing everything he can to run from the face of God. And folks, that's what sin is. By, by definition, sin is simply saying no to God. It's rebellion. It's doing it what I want to do. I want to run from God's face. That's what he wants me to do. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. That's sin. That's what Adam and Eve did. We just, we want to, don't eat of that tree, of the, okay? But I want it. It looks good. It might make me smarter. This is what I want, and they ate of the tree. And throughout history, that's what sin has been. It's just simply doing what I want to do. It's simply saying, I, I want to do it my way. Frank Sinatra put it to words, right? I did it my, right? We, we know the song. We know the attitude. That is the attitude of sin. And Jonah just shows us what it is. Here's how Isaiah 53 tells us. Maybe you'll remember this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's sin. It's just simply doing it my way, saying no to God, going my direction. That's why the Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. Because at some point, every one of us has said, I want to do it my way and not God's. And we find ourselves in that condition of sinfulness. Jonah is just proving it's not about if you're religious. It's not about if you're a good moral person. It's not about if you're not doing the list of the Ninevites. It's any time that you say no to God, you're, that's, that's what sin is. I'm doing it my way. That's what Jonah teaches. But Jonah also teaches something else. Jonah shows us who the real Savior is. 
Jonah is not the savior in this story. He's not the main character. All throughout the story, you're going to find weave that God is pursuing people. He's coming after the Ninevites. He displays his compassion for this atrociously wicked city, and yet God still says, but I, there's, there's people there, and I care about them. He sends a prophet to bring them hope that they didn't deserve by anybody's estimation. That's what God does, folks. God comes after sinful people. God loves them in spite of themselves, in spite of ourselves. He loves you. God does that for us. That's what he's th- throughout this book. But don't forget, he also comes after a sinful prophet. A prophet who everybody else would have seen. He's upstanding. Everything's good. God comes after him. This preacher goes AWOL. He goes the opposite direction of God's will. And where we left him was in the belly of a fish. Because God put him there. Think about this for a moment. We'll talk about it more next week. But do you recognize that the belly of the fish was actually a work of grace? God could have said, Jonah, I hope you can swim. It's a big ocean out there. But rather than letting him die as he had asked to do, God brought a fish because he wasn't done with Jonah yet. He was still coming after his prophet. That fish wasn't a punishment. That fish was a work of God's grace to keep Jonah headed the direction that God wanted him to go. Jonah tried to leave God, and God never leaves Jonah. Christian, follower of Christ, I I, I don't want to encourage you in anything, but I want to just remind you of this. No matter how hard you try to leave God, God doesn't leave. I will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews tells us. But if you get to a place where you're saying no to me, I will do what it takes to bring you back to where you need to be. Even if it's the belly of a fish, that's the work of God in our lives. But as we move through the New Testament and we get to that verse again that that Jesus talks about Jonah and tells us about his story. I want you to see this again, Matthew 12. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's his resurrection. He's talking about he's going to die, and we know he's going to raise again. But at the end of that, verse 41, he says, and now something greater than Jonah is here. We know that the something greater, the something more extreme than the story of Jonah and what all that happened to Jonah, something even more extreme is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most incredible thing in, in all of history is that the God of the universe who sees our sinfulness, sees our wickedness, sees us apart from him, and he sends his son to die in our place and in three days raise again. That's the most extreme, the most overboard, bizarre thing you can ever imagine, and God did that for us when he send his son to die in our place. So let's go back to the Isaiah verse that we started before. Verse 6, he says, for all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but or and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're sinners. We, We say no to God, but there is a Savior who came to forgive us of our sins once and for all, and as Christians to restore, to bring us back to where we, we serve a Savior that died taking our iniquity on himself. God provided a way of forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest Savior of all. See, that's what we learned from Jonah. We know what a sinner is now. Anytime you, you say no to God, but there is a Savior who loves us and restores us and heals us. And that's what Jesus still will do in your life today. 
Here's what I'd like to do to end. Look at the bottom of your connection card. There's four next steps that I want you to consider as we wrap up this particular service today. And I want to see if any of these apply or maybe something else God has spoken to you. But maybe today, God is calling you to recognize that you are a sinner, you have said no to God, and, you, and believe that Jesus died to be your Savior, and today you receive his gift of salvation. You've been on this fence of making a decision today. You step across and say, God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Save me today. Maybe your second thing would be to consider your personal Ninevehs and your Tarshish, those things that you really, God's calling you don't want to do, and where is it would you go to get, how far would you go to get away from him? Consider what that is. What does God want me to do? How am I trying to avoid it? What are some things you know is right or wrong in your life right now? God has, speak, has been speaking to you, and you're running from it, you're avoiding it, you're fighting it. What, what is it in your life? Number three, run to the presence of the Lord and stop running from it. God's face is waiting there. God's presence, he wants you to feel that and to experience that. And instead of running from it, run to it. Run to his arms. Come back to him. Finally, maybe you need to make an appointment. Talk to someone about your spiritual journey. Or maybe you need to pray with someone about what that is and let them help you in that journey. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, This morning, I encourage you to consider those particular steps, but maybe God has said something completely different to you today, so I'd ask you to consider that as well. But as you're thinking about that, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, before I pray for you, I'd like to just make it clear and even let you make it a statement yourself. Is Is there something on that list that I just mentioned or something else God is saying to you today Something that God is calling you to do, and and you're praying about that right now. God, I want to, uh, this is what I need to do. You've spoken to me, and there's something that you're moving in my heart to do today. If that's you in any form or fashion, maybe it's listed or not, would you just slip up your hand? Because I want to pray for you. I won't call your name, I promise, but is there something? I see hands all over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what you showed us today. Lord, it's an old, familiar story, but wow, the truth right where we live. So God, I'm praying that your word is just piercing into our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is doing something that we could never do and that that we will leave here differently. Lord, hands went up all over this audience. I know you're speaking to people and I, I pray for them. I don't know what their needs are specifically, but I pray that as they are Right now, even talking to you about those, that Father, they, they come to a decision to follow you, a decision to stop running, or a decision to come to you. Maybe there's one that those that raise their hands or others that they've not truly received Jesus as Savior, and they today that this would be the day of that salvation, I pray, God. Lord, just let the word just seep into our hearts and not come back void at all. Let it just make a difference today. I pray. Our heads are still bowed, eyes closed. Paul continues to play. In fact, just a moment, he's just going to sing part of that song. And as he does, as we always do, I invite you, you can pray where you're seated, but there will be those here at the front if you'd like to come and pray. Maybe today you want to make that decision to receive Christ or you have have something that God is speaking to you. You'd like someone to pray with you. There will be those who would love to pray or you can pray on your own or 
But just take this time and let's commit to God what we've heard and, and learn today and, and respond to his voice. So please, if God's speaking to you, I invite you to come today. We would love to pray with you.